We look together now at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 18. I'll read for us when I've concluded. I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now, starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you were here last week, you may remember that part of our discussion about loving one another came from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 in its entirety is one of those chapters that's just worth memorizing the whole thing top to bottom. It is filled with practical instruction for Christian living. But I just want to get something clear out on the front end of this. We talked about loving one another last week, and the greatest love that we were shown is the love that Jesus Christ showed us in taking on human form, in living a life of perfection among sinful humanity, and dying on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So that there wasn't just a pardon that just wiped away all of the guilt, but the wrath of God was taken on by Jesus on the cross. That's the example of love that we have. 
And so when we read Romans chapter 12, it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking, if I just can do enough, God will love me. If I can just fulfill these commands that he's given in Romans chapter 12, then God will have respect for me and he will care for me and I will have a place in glory for all of eternity. But that's not how it works. It works a little bit different than that. It's it's nuanced. You see, all of the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 11 is a theological doctrinal treatise. It is an essay on true Christian doctrine, and it is one of the most profound in all of Scripture. Those first 11 chapters are all very abstract, all very in the thought realm. And so what Paul is trying to do in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is write to this audience, this group of believers in Rome that up until that point he probably had never met, and he wanted to establish his credibility and wanted to reinforce the true doctrines of faith to them. And so he lays out the gospel. And then you'll notice Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. In light of all that happened in those first 11 chapters, now, therefore, here's the effect of believing what was written in chapters 1 through 11. When we trust that Jesus really was and is a real person, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he took our penalty, that he died on the cross, and that he rose three days later. When we trust that that is true, and that that is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we believe in that and submit ourselves to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, into our hearts, and seals that commitment with the Lord. It seals that contract. There's a covenant between us and the Lord. And now, in light of the fact that our life has been changed, in light of the fact that we were living and doing our own thing in our own way, and now we have surrendered to Christ, in light of that, our lives should look different. That's what Romans 12 is about. That's what these one another's are about. They're built upon the foundation that if we actually believe Jesus is who he said he is, if Jesus did what the Bible says that he did, if the Bible itself is true, it will affect how we live. And the practical outworking of that is seen in Romans chapter 12. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We no longer count our bodies as our own. We sacrifice our will and our preference and our convenience and our comfort so that our bodies might be a living sacrifice to Christ. So when somebody says, I thought Christians were supposed to behave this way, and somebody else says, oh, but don't you know about grace? We, we have forgiveness for all of these things. Yes, yes, we have forgiveness. Christ died over 2,000 years ago, right? How many sins had anybody in this room committed 2,000 years ago? Yeah, none. None of us existed at all 2,000 years ago. His death on the cross covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. When we give our lives to Christ, our sin is now covered by Him. And so it's not like Christ is unaware of the ways that we will mess up even after we begin to follow Him. But He sets a standard. He says, here's the bar, and that's what Paul is doing. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Strive to serve God, and that is our spiritual worship. If you want to worship God in spirit and in truth, 
we offer our bodies, our lives to Christ as living sacrifices. We don't get conformed into the mold of this world, but we are transformed day in and day out by renewing our mind, by reminding ourselves of the gospel so that we can discern what God would have us to do and do that. And then he moves into this analogy about a body. This is what I'm talking about. There may not be an exact command that says you should join a church, but you can't walk away from this language about how we are members one of another. Look specifically at Romans 12:5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is that same word, alone. One another. We are members of one another. There's nothing in this passage that should lead us to believe that God intends for or designs or plans for us to trust in Christ, to be saved by his grace through faith, and then to be on our own. We are members one of another. I'm a part of Jan Kinsaw. Jan Kinsaw is a part of me. I'm a part of Wesley Pierce. Wesley Pierce is a part of me. I'm a part of Taylor Sykes. Taylor Sykes is a part of me. We are one of each other. We are members one of another. Individually, we make up something greater than we do apart. And that's why these one another commands exist. So that when we are believers, we should be members one of another. And everybody's going to be different. Everybody's going to have a different talent, a different gift, a different something to contribute. But we need all of those contributions in order to function as a body. You know, I, I get a question a lot in the office. People will, will call me or they'll come by and visit and they'll say, you know, what, what's the deal with baptism? What do I have to do about being baptized? Well, I usually tell them that baptism is a command. We are told to baptize others. Baptism is an essential part of following Jesus. It is a special act of worship. But can somebody trust in Jesus and not be saved and go to heaven? Well, I, I like to think of it in an analogy of, of, of a marriage ceremony, right? I got married to my wife a long time ago, all right? We're just going to say a long time ago, okay? Just to save face as best I can, a long time ago, all right? Now, I got married to her. I said vows in front of God. I made a promise to God. I made a commitment to God. I made a commitment to her. I made vows. And then we exchanged rings as a symbol of the commitments that we had made to one another. Now, I have taken my ring off. And I no longer have a ring on. Am I still married? Yes. I am still married because of the commitment that was made between myself, my wife, the people present at our ceremony who were all mostly members of our local congregation and our commitment to God. That commitment was something personal and internal. And then I took this wedding ring and I placed it on my finger so that I could show the world that I belong to Jessica. That matters to me. I go around wearing my wedding ring so that everybody that can look at my hand, at a glance, they can know that I am married. But the wedding ring, as important as it is, is not what made me married, correct? So the same thing is true with baptism. Husbands, try walking around without your ring on for a month or so. See how that goes with your wife. It probably won't go as poorly as wives. Don't take those wedding rings off, all right? You hear me? 
Like, this is just between me and you as a man. I'm going to speak for your husband. Leave that wedding ring on, okay? Your husband wants everybody to know that you were him and he were you and all that. I asked my wife to marry me, and we were engaged for 18 months because she was still down in Auburn. And I had to put a ring on her finger because I didn't want any of them boys down there in Auburn thinking she was still available. I mean, this is a beautiful woman. I can't have her walking around without a ring on her finger to let folks know we've already made a commitment to one another. It is vital. It is essential. It is extremely important. It's commanded, but you, you can make a commitment to Christ without being baptized. You, you can technically make a commitment to Christ without joining a local church. It can happen. It, it's, it's a technicality. I would encourage you that everyone who trusts in Jesus should want to eagerly be baptized. It is a very essential aspect of our worship. It is the first step of obedience. In being baptized, you're telling the congregation that you're joining, that you mean it. That you're buried with Him and you're raised to walk in newness of life. That your old self is dead and your new self is alive. And your church family knows that because they see what you did. People know that you're married because they see the ring. And that's why when you're baptized, you usually, in most denominations, are now a member of that church because they saw you be baptized. That whole church can stand behind your testimony and say, oh, we saw we saw Jeff get buried. We saw Jeff be raised up and walk in the newness of life. We saw Eddie go under the waters like Jesus went in the grave, and we saw Eddie come up out of the water like Jesus busted up out of the tomb. And then when people in the world go, there ain't no way that you're a Christian. There ain't no way that you follow Jesus. There's a whole congregation that says, oh, no, 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 no. We've seen it. We live it. We experience it. We know it. That person is a believer. That's how church is supposed to work. When Paul writes, be in harmony with one another, it's be at peace with one another. Live in such a way that we commend Christ to others because we stand with our membership. We stand behind each other's profession of faith. We stand behind the fact that somebody believes in Jesus. We're not meant to be walking around detached from a church. That's why he uses the body analogy. If I cut my thumb off and throw it out there in the lobby, well, it's still going to be my thumb. It's not going to be very effective out there. I'm not going to be able to wiggle it or use it to pick anything up. But it is still technically my thumb. If you're going to try and follow Jesus and you're not going to be connected to a local body of believers, you're like a thumb sitting in the floor of the lobby. And everybody that walks by is going to be kind of grossed out. They're going to be like, whose thumb is this? I don't really know. But if it's attached to my body, you know it's my thumb, right? If you're a member at Bethany, then people can look at you and say they belong to Bethany because all the people at Bethany stand behind them. But see, church can be ugly. Church is messy. We're a bunch of messy people. We're a bunch of sinners. Let me tell you, if I ever find the perfect church and I go there to be the pastor, as soon as they hire me and accept me as a member there, I'm going to mess the whole thing up because I'm chief of sinners, okay? I'm as imperfect as they get. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect pastor. We are all a bunch of sinners who mess up all this stuff in Romans 12 all the time. That's why it's so important that Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. He goes from that body analogy to a musical analogy. He says, live in harmony with one another. Harmony is an interesting thing. How many musical people we got in here? Anybody? 
Anybody musical? Hey, I like Liam's first out there. There we go. Yeah, Luke, you sang up here. That's musical. That counts, buddy. Well, listen, I've always wanted to be musical, but I'm not very musical. I, I took a lot of piano lessons, but there's really only one song that I remember. And uh, I can play that one song, and it's here on Middle C, and I know right where Middle C is. And that's the only place that I know where it is. And I can sit down at the piano, and I can say... That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. That's it. That's all I've got. But see, when I was learning, this is one of the last things that I learned. My right hand does one thing that's the melody. And so... You you can tell what the song is from the melody, right? But that's just one hand functioning to provide a melody line. And then there's harmony that joins with it but see when you do the harmony by itself yeah harmony doesn't make a whole lot of sense by itself does it you can't really even tell what i'm playing and you you know that there's just a few notes that i'm hitting so you know that those sound good together and those sound good together and you know that those sound good uh well do they no, no, those don't really sound good together. How many musical people have to be, like, how intelligent do you have to be in your musical knowledge to know that, that oh, they missed a note. You know, you ever been at the recital and the little kid goes, <laughs> you know, they're just falling apart. And nobody has to be a, a, a Ph.D. in sitting down and playing Mozart or any kind of musical theory. They can just hear it. We all hear it immediately. Harmony is, is hard. Harmony takes work. It takes a melody and a harmony coming together. That's why Paul uses this analogy. It's the same thing as the body. It takes many members, and it takes work to be in harmony with one another. So it's, it's not just the piano part of, of stuff, but I, I want you to listen, if you will. We, we've got a, a way to zero in on Shane and Shane, uh, a band that's a Christian band. You may be familiar with them. The two Shanes sing together, and they make beautiful music, and they're in harmony with one another. But we're going to get a little bit of help. Alex Payne kind of has an app where he can take out one voice and add in another voice. So let's start off and just listen to one of the Shanes who's singing melody, okay? Now, if you were to hear that in a concert, he sounds incredible, doesn't he? And, and even as that little clip's playing, it takes me back. I'm hearing how great thou art. I, I love it. And I can sing along with that. It, it's lovely, but it's, it's still missing a little something. So let's just listen to just the harmony by itself.
everything's just a little bit off, isn't it? When you listen to harmony by itself, everything is just a little bit off. There's, there's no harmony in the world. Everything's just a little bit off. And this is the world that altos live in, right? If you've ever been in a choir and been an alto, you know, there's that big build at the end of the song. And you say, how great thou art. And that's, that's the part the altos always get to sing is they're going down into some realm that by itself just sounds awful. And then they have to just trust the choir director. No, 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 no ladies, ladies, I promise when everybody sings together, it's going to be great. It, it's going to sound wonderful. See, we could all just sing the melody together. And it would be pretty, but it wouldn't be what attracts people to the church. We could all just sing the harmony together, but then that sounds weird and it would probably repel people from the church. But then when we sing it all together, people go and pay hundreds of dollars. I, I mean, there, there's, they make thousands of dollars a show. They pack out arenas because Shane and Shane sing together and make harmony. And people are drawn to the beautiful music that they make. Listen to them together. I'm an imitator. I, I mimic. If somebody standing next to me is singing a note, I'm going to try to hit the note that they're singing. If you quote a movie, I'm going to try to quote that movie exactly like you have said it or exactly like it was written. But to listen to the music, to hear the melody, and find another note that harmonizes with that melody and choose to sing that note and be in the background and not be the melody that is followed. When everybody sings along, they're not going to be singing your part. They're going to be singing the melody. And you're going to seem like second fiddle. It's tough. It's challenging to sing the harmony. But when it's all together, it is absolutely beautiful. Listen, I know that I know one song on the piano. But we have a little keyboard at my house and my daughter goes up to that keyboard and it is so easy to not make harmony. She goes up to that keyboard. How did it sound, Daddy? It's lovely, baby. Play it again. Did I do good? Yes. Mm-hmm. That was that was something. You know what? Let's go play with your dolls. I think this is a good time to move on to the, the next thing. Even a three-year-old can sit down at a piano and clang and bang around and make noise. The part that is challenging is to make beautiful music filled with harmony. Where we resonate together. And it doesn't mean that sometimes there won't be some dissonance where the frequencies are against one another. And it feels like the note that you're singing is not the right note. But we come back together in harmony. We live in peace with one another that's what's attractive as a church 
when a true gospel-centered community can live in harmony with one another, people from the world outside the church will go, I don't know what's different, but something is beautiful and harmonious there, and I need to be a part of it. And it is easy to not make harmony. It is easy to come to church and clang around on the piano and make a racket. It is easy to create dissonance in the music. It is easy to sing the wrong note on purpose. What's hard is forgiving people and loving people and creating harmony because we are all one of another. We are individually members of one another. So all over Scripture, we are told to be at peace, not to bite one another, not to fight one another, not to devour one another. There's so many references. It says in Mark 9:50, be at peace with one another. It says in John 6:43, don't grumble among one another. In um, Romans 12:6 and Romans 15:5, it says be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15:7, accept one another. 1 Corinthians 11:33, wait for one another before beginning communion. Galatians 5.15, don't bite or devour and consume one another. Ephesians 4.2, gently, patiently tolerate one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, confess sins to one another. James 5.16, don't complain against one another, James 4, 11. And then it repeats in James 5, 9. This is not something I'm cherry-picking and saying, here's what it says in Romans, we're supposed to be in harmony. All over the New Testament, it talks about not biting, not devouring, not consuming one another, not grumbling against one another, not complaining about one another. Are these things absolutely essential to be saved? No. But making harmony is what makes us stand out as a church. These are the things we are to strive for. And what has happened over the last two years is that it's gotten too easy for us to just all sing the melody together. It's, it's really easy to hear a song and just try and follow the melody. And so instead of creating harmony and singing different parts that join together to make beautiful music, it's almost as if we've all decided... You know what? I just, I don't care enough. It doesn't matter enough to me. I'm not emotionally invested enough in the church to be a member. I'm not emotionally invested enough in the church to care what really happens. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to offer my opinion. When my feelings are hurt, I'm just going to move to another church. Look, the thing that happened on the cross is that Jesus offered reconciliation to us. He offered to make our relationship right. And so when Paul says, be at peace with one another, live in harmony, that means that when we hurt each other's feelings, we just don't run off. We don't just take our ball and go home. We find a way to live in peace with one another. Even the verse we wrapped up with in, in verse 18, he says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. Live peaceably with all. Folks, living peaceably doesn't, doesn't just mean we keep our mouths shut and go along to get along. We stop showing up or only show up once every couple months. 
so that we don't cause a fuss. Gospel communities are messy. Let me tell you the church in action and how I've seen this very church in action. There was, there was an issue among a family where there was infidelity. And there were church members who saw a hurting family and decided from this moment forward, we will not leave them on their own. And that family has been there with them, have gone to different conferences and different marriage things together, have just gone out on date nights together, have arranged for there to be uh, child care so that that family can have time together. Do you think that it's been perfect and beautiful and lovely and everything has been honky-dory and nobody has said anything to somebody else that didn't hurt their feelings? You'd be a fool to think that. There have been a lot of hard times through that process. But this church... And I can say this church because it's members of this church. And we are members one of another who have rallied around this family and said, no, we're here with you. We know what happened and we are here with you. We love you anyway, regardless of the result or the outcome. But folks, if if we're never here, if we're never plugged in, if we're never involved, that kind of beautiful harmony can't be made. That kind of music can't exist. You can't tell a story about how, you know what, our church surrounded people who experienced divorce and loved them through it. Our church was around when this terrible, atrocious sin happened. And instead of judging that person and kicking them out of the congregation, we rallied around them to show them grace and mercy like Jesus has shown us. That's what harmony sounds like. And isn't it ironic that the churches named Harmony always are the ones that don't have harmony. Have you ever noticed that? I say that from personal experience because my home church growing up was Harmony Baptist Church. This was They're like over 200 years old, okay? My church growing up was Harmony Baptist Church. It's now called First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove. I'm sorry, the First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove. And you know why it's called that? Because somewhere along the way, at Harmony, there wasn't no harmony. You know what the church finally split over? Whether or not to pave the parking, uh, the driveway for the pastor to park at the parsonage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 That was the straw that broke the camel's back. They were in a meeting and there were people that said, listen, that gravel parking lot just looks rough over there. The preacher's having to drive through all them rocks and he's got kids over there. We, we need to pave that so that it's a little bit better. You know, little, you know we need to just go ahead and pave, and pave that little driveway. And then there was these folks in there said, I can't believe we're going to waste the church's money like that. I ain't never heard such foolishness in all my life. That gravel's just fine. I got a dirt driveway at my house. You saying there's a problem with my dirt driveway? Well, you know what? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your dirt driveway, but I'm saying that gravel driveway ain't good. They could trip and fall. Maybe we need some cement over it. That's stupid. I can't believe that. Well, you're a fool. Well, you're a fool. Well, you know what? We ain't going to stand for this. Well, fine. It's happening whether you like it or not. Church split. Harmony Baptist Church became Bethel Baptist Church and the first Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove. My home church wanted to make sure everybody knew we was the first ones here. We the first, the first Baptist Church. And don't pretend like every church named First Baptist, that isn't in their history somewhere. There might be some other Baptist churches around here, but I want y'all to know we was the first. That ain't Harmony. When your family slaps you in the face, you find a way to forgive them. You find a way to work it out. 
There may be a grudge. There may be problems. But you find a way to make harmony in your family. If somebody hurts your feelings at church, i got 52 other churches I can pick from. I'll just go somewhere else. Or you get hurt at church. And then you get hurt at the next church. And then you get hurt at the next church. By church number four, you say it ain't worth it. I'll show up. I'll write a check. I'll be there every so often. But I ain't getting involved. Because I'm not dealing with that drama. Because that ain't supposed to be what church is supposed to be. You're right. That ain't what church is supposed to be. But that's every church. And every church you hop to, you're going to find a different version of the same problem. Same story, different chapter. God doesn't tell us to unplug and coast along. He says to be members one of another. To live in harmony with one another. So Bethany, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep rolling along on cruise control? Where a handful of people care a whole lot. But the majority of us, I don't really want to get involved. I don't, I don't really want to face that drama or that tension. I'll just show up every so often. But, Pastor, you don't understand that the, the church I was just at, they hurt me. And, and if, I, if I get involved, I I'm, I'm might be vulnerable to that again. Yeah, you will. And I'm going to tell you right now, Bithynians, we hurt each other sometimes. You know who the chief hurting somebody is? Me. I'm the biggest knucklehead you ever did see. And if you want to come and join this church, I guarantee you at some point in time, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you. And I'm going to fail you. Because I'm a sinner just like you. Nobody special. I'm a sinner just like anybody else. But what I am going to do is I'm going to come to you when you let me know how I failed. And I'm going to tell you how much I regret it. And I'm going to live a life that shows repentance. And I'm going to make corrections. And I'm not going to treat you that way again. And I'm going to fix it. And you know what Bethany does? We fix it. We reconcile. And we make harmony. But if you're not willing to let yourself be vulnerable, then you're not really participating in church. You're just showing up. And we're glad you're here. But I wonder, when are you going to put your flag in the ground and say, I'm not just here. I'm a member. I belong. This is my family. And come good times or bad, these are my people. And I work it out with them so that the rest of the world can hear the harmony that sings from Bethany Baptist Church. All of that is secondary to your salvation. You can't join a church if you don't know Jesus. You can't be a part of his body if you don't belong in his body already. So this morning, that's both sides of the coin. Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus and are following him, are you connected to a body? Are you living in harmony with one another? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the examples that you give us. Lord, that you teach us in your word what it's like to be numerous members of one body, that you teach us in your word what it looks like to live in harmony, to be at peace with one another. Father, I pray that you help us to care enough about you, about your word, about your kingdom, about one another, to commit to each other.
to care for one another. Lord, to work through our differences, to love each other well. Father, thank You for showing us what love really is. Help us, Lord, to love one another, to live in harmony with one another. Father, if there's anybody listening to the sound of my voice this morning that they've never trusted in You, I pray that You would move on their heart and that they might be reconciled to You in a right relationship with You. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that has been walking with You and they've never been baptized, they've never followed in that first step of obedience, that command that You give that we are to baptize, that we are to be baptized, Lord, I pray that You would move on their heart, that they might submit so that they can be buried like You were buried and raised like You were raised. Lord, I pray that You move among us. Holy Spirit, that You would prick our hearts and that we would respond in obedience. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit.